0: Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. Um my good friend, Corey, just arrived here at the Cottage Studios in Independence, Missouri, and um, we have just a, a slight idea of what we're going to talk about today, but again, uh, just reminding you, um, if you wonder um, about the way our podcast goes from week to week, we started this off with just having uh, <laughs> conversations over coffee and decided we And wanted... sometimes
1: not even the coffee, yeah, just conversations. Yeah.
0: <laughs> getting together, and uh, we just- decided we would start recording those conversations, and so it's a very uh, casual um, approach,
1: but we usually, uh, well, we're always talking about things of the kingdom, and so... Yeah, uh, the only thing that really changed is we've got microphones in front of us now, we're still just kind of talking, and uh, never a script, it's just us.
0: (laughs) We uh, I had some good feedback, and I I wanted to read just a a message from, um, and I'm not going to say the name, but uh, from uh, California, and it's not. I will say it's not Caleb. Um, So he was on here from California, but I got this, and I just uh, wanted to share that. It says, uh, "Good brother, I thank the Lord for the ministry that has come from Brother Corey and yourself. One day I will tell you about it. No man is an island; we are all connected, and this small." great work of podcast at this time of my life is the companionship that i need from other men of faith god has blessed me through that powerful ministry you men have brought bread to my prison cell and fresh water amen and amen in gospel bonds a brother in cali and i said i won't i won't give his name but um I found that very encouraging, and that's really why we decided to record our conversations, because um, it gives people a chance to just listen in and think about the things of eternity during the week and not just on Sunday mornings when we might find ourselves among other believers. And then, yeah, go ahead. Some people don't have that... um, don't have the uh, um, advantage of even having other other believers around them all the time. And so we want you to feel part of the family, part of a community, and that's really uh, what we intend.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: Well, today... There's one thing I want to ask sometime in the podcast today, Corey. Um, I'm trying to get my levels back. We went, we took the show on the road last week and and went mobile to our good sister Louise Gregson's house and did a Stories of the Saints. And so, um, I, I've I've just put it back together here at the studio, and some of the levels are a little a little messed up here. But what a great time that was, Corey, to see a sister that is 97 years old wow. yeah, <laughs> and, and decided, and she said, I thought it was time I recognized the Lord for all of his work that he's done, and, and I think I'm going to write a book. And last year, she started in May of last year. At the young,
1: young age of 96, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: right. And she's actually going to be 98 um, here in uh, a couple of months. and. Wow. Uh, just to be able to have the ability to go back in your mind and come up with enough material in um in a logical way yeah. you know to go through your life I mean I like I told her I said I forget what I did for lunch yesterday afternoon <laughs> and yet yeah. she's bringing out you know these details of the name of the captain that piloted the ship that um, you know brought her family to mm. the Hawaiian islands oh, and um, and then her being there at uh, pearl harbor you know oh wow. while the she actually saw the bomb hit the arizona and the You're end kidding. of the uh, and the end of the boat go up and then the boat go into the water as she was driving in the back of a taxi with a Uh-oh. with a japanese taxi driver who was elated at what he was seeing and she said he was yelling banzai banzai and he was all oh happy oh my gosh and she uh, she wanted She said, do I hit him over the head with my purse now or (laughs) later? And she said she reached down to grab her purse and she was going to clobber him over the head. And she saw her pregnant belly with her child and realized if she did that, she could maybe cause him to wreck the car and and, um, didn't want to risk the life of her unborn child. Oh, unbelievable. And so she said, uh, well, we are being attacked. I'm going to go on to church and worship the Lord. And, you know, it was was interesting because she pulled into the church and went in, I think she said her brother was teaching Sunday school and they didn't even know they were under attack because we are so ingrained, like, you know, today Twitter and Facebook and instant messages would be going mm. off and there's no mm. way you wouldn't know what was going on. But they were just a group of saints sitting in church and she had just driven through Pearl Harbor area seen it all and went on to the church and she let him finish his class and he sat down and she said we're under attack. Wow. Japan is attacking us. And he wow. said, uh, well, that explains the bomb that fell in my backyard this morning that was a dud. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Unreal. So everybody will have probably heard this story by the, by the time, time this, time this episode. Up. But I know for, for you and I today, this was fresh just a couple of days ago. Um Just yesterday. Wow. Um, wow. So what, um, what a... Uh It was a marvelous experience for me. I'm still elated um that because you know we, we were talked about I grew up with her books and as many kids did in the church, and now their kids and grandparent and grandkids are able to look at those coloring books and stories and you know and learn the Word of God that way. But you know what was really neat to me, Corey was she's ninety eight years old. These stories she's probably told hundreds of times, sure. And um, she quoted scriptures that I'm sure she's quoted hundreds of times. And when she would say the word of God, she didn't even have a book in front of her. And she would say, I'm not quoting verbatim. And then she would lay out the whole scripture, you know. (laughs) yeah, yeah. She would have tears just flowing from Mm -hmm. her beautiful eyes. You Mm -hmm. know, she's so beautiful, that Hawaiian Mm -hmm. tears Mm -hmm. just flowing from her eyes. And you knew that it was because she was... Believing and feeling everything she was saying, it was just a part of her, yeah, and yeah. she um, is yeah. just so moved by her relationship with Jesus Excellent. and His love
1: for her, yeah, and that and that love just emanates from her or anyone when when they love the Lord that much, you know. There, there's no self involved, and it just comes no. out to anybody else.
0: It's a gift, and it um, and like I was talking with a sister today at church. Um, uh, we, she came up at church today, her name did, and we were talking, and the sister said, she's about my age or a little younger, she said, I remember when I was young, we would go over to Louise's house, and she said, I remember playing on the floor and listening to her stories. And uh, she said, I can't tell you what those stories are today, but I remember being there. And so it's like she remembers the presence of her spirit, mm-hmm. the spirit that she carried. And it's yes. kind of how I feel like about Bill Davies, you yeah. know, I remember just the spirit of the man and being around him. And and Louise is like that. Mm. And that's the gift that you have when you walk that close with Jesus is that his love is like integrated into you. Like he is physically, spiritually, you know, just somehow in your cells and and just emanating from you. And you feel that, you know, around her.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, I... Was touched by Louise and her late husband Albert and I mentioned ago. you yesterday yeah. Oh, yeah. before we started the podcast uh-huh. and she
0: she says, she kept saying your name and I said you prayed for his child
1: y- y- yeah my my nephew when he had oh, passed your on sorry right you. right yeah. and and it was a. Oh, such a, such a moment where you, again, just everything you're describing about her, her and her husband just reached out to me and, you know, I was still a stranger really to them and, and had me over and shared a day and, and shared the love of Jesus. You know, that, that family though, um, when Louise had a couple sisters and, and they've passed on now, but years ago, um, and this is gosh, 25 years ago, probably, um, I worked for a company. I had a lot of frequent flower miles, didn't have any real money or anything. But my, my wife and I, and we had two little children at the time, um, had just on a shoestring budget decided we were going to take a trip and we are going to go to Hawaii. And we had friends here who were um, Hawaiian, and they said, oh, well, when you go, if you're going to go to Hawaii, we've got a, a our aunt who lives there, and she's got this huge house. She would love to have you. Well, of course— she didn't know us from anybody, but this was Louise Gregson's family, actually. This was one of Louise's oh, sisters, wow. and, and she said— Oh, and and of course she'll want you to stay there with her, and oh, and my my grandmother, she's here in the U.S. right now, and she has a brand new car, and she'll want you to have her car. So they they got the keys <laughs> from one sister, so we could have her car. They let us stay with her her um her aunt Mary, and and Mary was in her late eighties at the time, and we we just show up, and she lets us stay in her house for for a week, but. This was the same kind of situation, the the love, the outpouring, the generosity, the total strangers. And um Mary was just kind of like Louise now. Um, we have a picture of Mary, who was in her late 80s at the time, going to the beach with her surfboard, carrying her surfboard on the, on her head, and out and out floating around in the ocean on a surfboard. You know, near 90 years old, and it was just like their love for life, their zeal for life. It just <laughs> it just flowed from them. So, yeah, beautiful people. And then being part of their family at that time too. Uh, I just remember gathering at someone else's house. I don't remember who it was. It was one of the one of the children or grandchildren and and everyone was just so comfortable with each other you know there's this big pile of shoes at the door because no one wears you know shoes around but everyone just kind of leaning on each other and and hugging and being close it reminded me of this moment in the scripture where it talked about the the disciple who Jesus loved leaning on his breast you know yeah. you know just that that closeness and that bond and i just tell you there's 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 a goodness there and that somehow i don't know if it's our our culture or what it does where we we put up walls and they didn't seem to have those walls. You know, we were as welcome in their family as anybody else would have been mm-hmm. as their own, as their own blood, you know? And, uh, I just, just love that about her and, and everything, you know, anyone, anyone who's ever been in Louise's presence at all seems to carry this same story away. Like, gosh, the love just emanates from her, you know? And, yeah. uh, how, how can we be like that? How can we do that? I don't know,
0: but I think that's something that, um, the lord allows in certain people to always remind us that you know it always goes back to John 15 and the the branch and the vine and how we spend so much time trying to be loving people and trying to to be that person but the the truth is is that you can only be that person if you're attached to the vine which is Jesus mm-hmm. Christ yeah. and so yeah. every time we we all of the time we waste or uh, mess around with trying to do things under our own power is um, is just is just a failure. It's it's mm. uh, it's going to have no avail. But you cannot fake you cannot fake what she carries, and that is the presence of Jesus within her, because. Because Louise is just like you and I and every other creature ever born into this world. She is carnal, sensual, and devilish. And to say that about Louise Greggs, it almost seems blasphemous. But (laughs) the thing is, she is the way she is because of Jesus, not because of her. And she will be the first one to tell you that, that that she has a great love affair with her Lord Mm. and has allowed him to just be within her. And, um, and so we are seeing what a human being can be like, who allows, uh, the Lord to fully work within their life. And, and, and she had, you know, (laughs) it's funny if you read the The preface to her book, it starts out with her talking about how she is such a sinner and she wanted to uh, let people know that she was a sinner and that she wasn't, you know, that she, um, you know, had these faults and also her successes. She wanted to share that to bring glory to God. And I I think about that wording and I think she's, you know she's saying, you know, I am a sinner, but look at what I can be with Jesus in my life Wow! and giving all the glory to him.
1: You think that's just the example of the change of heart? I mean, in yeah, other words, you, absolutely. Know, you know, you know, I wonder if we had met Alma before his, you know, we call it his conversion moment right. but and, and then after, you know, and, and maybe because, you know, we only know our histories like we know them. People don't know us as well as we know ourselves, but, but Louise, you know, we don't want to believe that about Louise because all we see is this loving person, right. but she she knows that just like Alma knew that. And he tells all of his sons this. It's interesting in the in the sixteenth, seventeen, 19th chapter of Alma. We've covered some of that in previous podcasts. Right. Every one of them is a letter to his son, and he told him, I was like to be cast to hell. I was I was bad. And he said, It's only because of this love of Jesus and my heart has changed that I'm I'm here now, sharing him with you. And and so Maybe that's just the the whole point is that this is what it means when your heart's changed—that the love of God emanates through you to other people.
0: And can you only? I can only imagine. <laughs> to steal the song, I okay. can only imagine what it's going to be like in a whole. And in, in, it's weird to say this, but in a whole world full of Louises, just because she's a mm-hmm. physical example of someone we can see. Um, but, but basically uh, a whole world of people that have given up their life to Jesus and like for real, like have for, for, for really forsaken their sins to know him mm-hmm. and have wanted to give up. And, um, I will say though, it seems like her story goes all the way back to when she was five years old. So I don't know if she uh, <laughs> ever had the wild, crazy days she stole her oats. Cause at five years old, she was just thrilled to death to be going to the, uh, to the uh, RLDS church with her neighbor girls where her story starts, yeah. where she heard the gospel, five yeah. years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. But uh, I think that's a gift from God that every now and then he he maybe plants somebody down here with that special spirit or whatever to, to just let us know from time to time, this is what it's like to have a change of heart. This is the way you um, – this is the way you love. This is the way you look. This is the way you're able to touch other people. Mm. Um, People just want to be in your presence Mm. and not because they're worshiping you, but it's because of me in them. They want to be around that. And I, I feel every, you know, void and every need in
1: your heart, nothing else will. but, um, and isn't it interesting that when you're, when you're in the presence of someone like that, it's like, you know, you realize there's, there's nothing from them that, they're trying to do. It's not like they're trying to put on this face or this right. act or this show, or, or, you know, give the air that they're, there's something, it's just
0: <laughs> who they are. You know? It's it funny when we got there, um, we were coming in and she was, she was doing something in the kitchen, making it, uh, I don't know what she was doing, but, uh, she was just kind of walking around and mumbling and I heard her say, Oh, the phone's been ringing all morning. She says, That sure is annoying <laughs> And I thought, She is just a real person like the rest yeah. of us. And she she had been getting those, you know, those calls that actually, you know, that end up being nothing. You know, someone trying to sell you some type of hospital insurance or something and she's like, It's just so annoying. And I thought, Man,
1: at ninety eight years old, waste my time. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. You know, um, in that zeal for life, you know, yeah. just right on. I was
0: gonna say, I don't know, I don't remember how much of this was before or after. Um, but at one point, she shared Corey about this great analogy of well, I I saw it as that was. um She said how we we our little babies like you can talk to them and they don't understand the language, right? And yet we don't stop talking to them. We keep talking to the babies. Oh, we keep talking, wow. to them and they learn. And after a time, they pick up the language. And she, she said, you know, if you would talk to them in three or four different languages and keep repeating it, that they would learn the language, and they mm. would learn all of those and be fluent in all of them. And uh, and we brought it around to how um, God needs to continually talk to us until we understand That's and beautiful. we finally get it. And, um, and I said... And I said, so Louise, it's like we we were talking about reading the word mm. every day mm. because that's how God talks mm. to us. And if we're not continually in the word every day, mm. then we don't learn the language. Wow. We don't and we wanna be fluent in his language, his language of love, of who he wants us to be. And when she said that and I asked her, I said, Do you still read the word every day yeah she 90 you know almost 98 years old in the word every day and when we walked in sure enough there was a a large print copy of the scriptures on her table with a magnifying glass right next to it and you know she's telling the truth she's she's in the word still you know
1: wow wow (laughs) that's I love that analogy that he's he's speaking to us and whether or not we're getting all the words right. he continues to speak that's beautiful.
0: Yeah, you you don't give up on a baby. You know, you keep talking to him until they are able to form the words and they become fluent in the language and and that's what he does with mm. us
1: if we're willing but but that has to happen on you know. You, you know, know, that's that's applicable in our own families. I mean in a you know, in the in the physical sense but in the spiritual sense too in that um, I I heard it said once that you know children are kind of like a plant you can uh, you can give them you know get the right seed I guess but you put it in fertile soil you give it water you give it the right amount of sunlight and everything and you can't command it to grow so much you can you can provide the things for it to grow but it's got to grow on its own and it's kind of like this the same thing of Jesus in his words he's he's continually speaking to us and, and then our job is to try to respond to that. And eventually it's like a child who understands the words and they, it's not just like the only word they ever hear is no, you know, and then they understand other things. And then they grow once they start understanding those words. When, um, when the Israelites were in the desert and the only thing they had was manna, it's interesting because the scriptures even come out and say, you know, whether they understood it at the time or not, that the manna represented the word of God. And that, I mean, it was their physical food, but it represented that you had to live on this if you were going to live. And, and there wasn't anything else. They didn't have anything else. They didn't have any entertainment. They didn't have any other, you know, um, things to do. They, they couldn't build houses. They couldn't do anything else. Mm. They just were given this manna every single day. And the word manna, it's interesting, in the Hebrew literally means what is this? They didn't understand that that was the name they gave it because they didn't know what it was. It was this thing that came down. But in the end, you know, God said to them, he in, in Deuteronomy 8, he says, God humbled you, suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man doesn't live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and and this this idea that he's he's giving it whether we realize it or not whether we understand it or not so that we can respond and it's and if we don't get it i mean it's like he filtered everything else out this is the thing you need to have and every day and even louise at 98 years old every day is still being fed by that i, I like
0: that word live or alive or man liveth because we uh we, you know, you can you can look at that word, and the first the first thought it could th- come, the first thought that can come through your mind is, well, I'm alive, and I haven't read my Bible for you know for four weeks or whatever. But when it says, you know, man liveth, you know, not by bread alone, but every word, that word liveth. I think you know is is talking about everything good that we talk about. It it's, it's succeeding, and it's becoming like Christ, and it's. Fulfilling the measure of our creation. That's what it means, I think, when that saying liveth. Mm. Like you are you are truly alive, you are truly flourishing. You know, you are mm. fulfilling God's plan for you. And so that is uh that is something. Um I don't I don't know that we I don't know that we well it takes a lot of effort on our part to make that connection that we need the word of God just as much as they needed that food to physically survive every day and what a great um what a great example God gave us to help us understand that right really I mean I um I need to recommit to being in the word more
1: but um yeah and and you know it's like a it's interesting because <clears throat> in my life I think you know, th- there's different reasons I've read from time to time, but it, it was kind of mm-hmm. like I wanted to know or maybe there was a, you know, not I, I can't say a scholarly interest, but sometimes I was just more intrigued by prophecy and things that were going to happen in the last days. So I w- had a curiosity about that. And there was a time when I I felt like I wanted to know the word so I could, you know, to be blunt, p- prove other people wrong, you know, and improve we were right and all this. And, and those were maybe certain motivations. but I But I have to admit, I feel I've missed the most important part for wanting to read, and that is for the change of heart, you know, that that somehow we're humbled and we're changed. And it was like a message maybe I missed in life that, you know, the, the whole thing Jesus explains is that unless you're born again, unless that change happens, you know, you you aren't the one who's going to be with God in his kingdom, that the change has to happen to us, and that the word is the thing that with God's spirit, Causes the change, you know. We we read the word and we reflect on it, and then we examine ourselves. Say, well, am I doing that? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I reaching out? Am I sacrificing? Am I am I giving rather than wanting to receive? All these things are, are the things that the word should and can mm-hmm. do for us. Um, that's that's very. Golly, I got to quit hitting that mute. That's very
0: interesting, Cor. I was just as you were saying that, thinking it's not only. It's, it is just as important as actually physically sitting down at the table, opening your scriptures and having the printed word in front of you. What's just as important is growing also in understanding your relationship with that word. That right. it's not, um, you know, there's all kinds of scripture reading programs and there's different ways to go about reading the word. But, and, and
1: memorizing. Right, right. right, but
0: in a lot of times... I think the catalyst for people reading the word is what you said you know somebody has said something or another and they want to pr- either prove them wrong or prove themselves right but um, but taking the word and implementing it into relationship with with your father in heaven and with each other is uh, is a growth process just as much as understanding what's contained in there you right know? and right. then the magical thing, you know, the supernatural thing that's really neat is the the uh, Holy Spirit as the factor that that your eyes see this word and your brain processes it, and yet the Holy Spirit is present, enlightening your mind, yeah, giving yeah. understanding, and so
1: integrating it into your soul,
0: yeah, and that's that's limitless. Like yeah. that's why. Um, you know, like like Louise was saying that that you can read the scriptures a hundred times and always get something um, more out of it, out of the words. Mm. They mm. they are, and then, so the living word they are alive. That's why Christ Christ is they. You know, He's referred to as the Word in uh, one way to look at it, like alive. The Word alive. That you know, it's living in in a sense, and that's hard to, you know, you would never look at a book like Harry Potter and say, that's living, you know, that's the living word. Mm -hmm. But but the word... Interesting, yeah. It's funny, Corey, because I just feel like we're so (laughs) relaxed today. We got these new chairs and you got you feet up on the bucket and we're looking and I feel like the posture has made us more casual in our conversation we're just as intense talking, and it's if the if our listeners could see uh you, we sit so far down I just see from Corey's bridge of <laughs> his nose and his eyes up like oh, peering over his laptop over there he's got like this 48 inch laptop now it's uh it's this big uh laptop and then we've got some colored lights here and so it's kind of a cool thing but yeah Starbucks kind of a,
1: doesn't have anything on us yeah
0: <laughs> Corey how I wanted to say when I was um, <clears throat> so when I was young, one of the most amazing uh, movies and series of movies was um, the Indiana Jones ser- series. Oh man, I remember so well Raiders of the Lost Ark, and there is something I think in every young boy, and you know even in every young girl, um, we see it in the Star Wars series and everything that we love imagination. And just um, what I liked about Indiana Jones was there seemed to be a sense of uh, reality um, of our history here on this planet. You know, real, you know, we're not talking about planets in outer space like Star Wars, but it was like right here, this mystery surrounding um, antiques and antiquities and, and, you know, artifacts and things that had gone on on the planet long ago. And finding out, you know, where we came from and how that all meshed together on these great adventures, and um, and something about that was so intriguing. And I have to admit that um, recently, um, I can't wait for the podcast to get out. And, and today's January twelfth, and I know, like the one we just played today that aired was before Thanksgiving, and um, and that's a little weird to wrap your mind around. Um, but what? I've really been excited about brother that you've been sharing with me is this, uh, what we say this cover up or this kind of like, it's, it's like this own little adventure of, um, something that's been going on here in America and that we're finding out about now. And you shared last podcast, we shared this story of a man that was taken by this guide, you know, through the through the land and he met these these tribe who you know were of Hebrew background and then these three men came and said you know you will see us again but you will not know us and almost quoting like word for word out of the book of mormon you know we wonder were those the three nephites or not all of that to say you have been looking at at different things and i looked up this week the 21 or the 800 stones in um, um, puerto rico yeah yeah what a great that's
1: Indiana Jones right there.
0: Yeah, and it, and you're right. I mean, I, I looked up the Miami Herald and, um, you know, Jerusalem Post. These are mainline news that are saying everybody said this was a cover-up, but they're not. These are not fake. These are real. And so they said there's this whole Smithsonian thing that where, you know, they don't, you know, there's obviously an agenda <laughs> to not allow people to know that, that there's a possibility that there were remnants
1: of Hebrew origin over this side of the world, right? Uh, Mike, you are getting me excited. I've, <laughs> uh, as I shared before we started recording, literally in the last two weeks, I've ordered re- 10 books and I've been, as they've been arriving, I haven't been able to put them down. And um, just, gosh, this touches on so many things. And I, I don't know how I can even do it justice to share a, a little bit of this, but um, what's interesting, and, and this again touches on so many things. If we look at our history, you know, we—I mean, you grew up in Ohio, but how much of Ohio uh, elementary education focused on America before Columbus? You know, I mean, even living there. Uh, no, and <clears throat> the
0: you go any farther? I want to remind—I want to tell you something. Louise said, "I don't want to, yeah, go interrupt ahead. your train of thought." But she said that she was up in Ohio, or I think it was Ohio, somewhere up there—the the Serpent Mound. Yep. She was there and she said, out she was praying very hard and very earnestly to the Lord to ask him, Were these made by the Book of Mormon peoples? I don't want to misquote her. I think she said, and I think he said, the Lamanites. And she, it was her understanding anyway that Moroni didn't have to travel all the way from central. America all the way up and bury the place. But that, that at some point that he was up here with these people, with this battle, she said it was just a few hundred miles to go and bury the plates Mm. in New York. Mm. And she said, that's my personal testimony. You don't have to believe it, but anyway, so yeah, lots of, uh, we've always wanted to, wondered how to connect those, but go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just, and I, and I don't want this to turn into a, a class, but there's just so much. And first of all, there's, there's been a cover-up, and, and let, me, let me start filling in the blanks. Um, <clears throat> well before America was even a nation, the 1600s, uh, there were explorers here and scholars who were writing books about the characteristics of the who we call now the Native Americans. They were just calling them the, the inhabitants of the Americas. And these people were coming to the conclusion that nowhere in the world could you find a group of people— that had as many similarities to the Hebrews anywhere, unless you went to literally Jerusalem. And so in the 1600s, these books were being written. In the 1700s, so so one, one famous book was Thomas Thorogood's book. Um, he wrote the book, it's a long title, Jews in America, or the probability that Americans are of that race, and, and, and the whole thing was that was <laughs> they tried of the too time. hard to be uh, <laughs> yeah too, he, did they they just said it. <laughs> yeah no exactly and so he he writes a book and you can find that that online um, in the seventeen hundreds James Adair writes his history of the American Indians it's almost five hundred pages and at least half of it is all the similarities of their language and their customs and their cultures. With the Hebrew, this man lived forty years among the Indians, and he spoke Hebrew as well. And he's like, "Hey, there is like this is a no brainer here. These people are of the lost tribes." And he didn't say necessarily one tribe. He 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 believed there had to be multiple people who had come at different times. I I won't go too far into that yet. In the eighteen hundreds, and this is before the Book of Mormon was released, a man named um, Ethan Smith writes his book called "The View of the Hebrews." He's talking about how the American natives had to have been of Hebrew origin and it was incumbent upon America to realize its destiny in restoring them. And he's using all the the scriptures Marvelously, marvelous understanding of Old Testament. All these people had it uh, of the fact that Israel had fallen away, but yet they were going to be gathered again from the four quarters of the earth. They were going to be gathered and that it was America's destiny. And he's, he's writing with passion. He's, he's, he's writing as if he's right, speaking first person, God to America saying, you have to realize what, what our responsibility here is here. Now this is in the 1820s. Jump ahead about 20 years, uh, two men and, i the, the book I'm really fascinated with. Even today, I've spent hours reading it this morning. Um, called "Lost American Antiquities: A Hidden History." It's by a man named Edgar Smoot. S M O O T. Uh, just bought the book and read it. This man goes through the fact that America was covered with thousands, and I'm not just using that word as 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 a as a. As a as a number it was literally in the thousands of, of mounds and and ancient cities and artifacts um, places where there were, uh, you know, not, not just mounds, but enclosures and different things that all matched in certain dimensions and characteristics, things you would find in, in uh, Egypt uh, as far as dimensions and layouts and stuff is like the same people who had done things over there had done things here. Well, the very <clears throat> these two men were commissioned to write an article, and the very first article they publish uh, is published by a group that it was their first publication ever, and this group decided to give themselves the name the Smithsonian. Now everyone's heard of that today. <clears throat> the very first research they share was of these two men who declare that all of these. Uh, yet to be developed lands of America were inhabited by an ancient race who was very superior in their knowledge of mathematics, their understanding of the cosmos, their uh, their government. They had to be unified in order to build these things. It couldn't have just been little clans. There had to be, you know, <clears throat> some kind of cohesive belief system. Uh, they they had knowledge of you know uh, lots and lots of things. Uh, a, a monotheistic attitude. They they weren't like idol worshippers. And so what they write about is the fact that these people had to be uh, like for 200 years, um, the ones that people explorers, early explorers were writing about. And so that they had to have some connection back to, back to Israel. Well, that gets published. And then this is where the story changes. It's interesting that the Smithsonian is in Washington. Uh, a couple of years ago I went to Washington with my son and I found um, interesting that if you go in the Senate chamber or the the Congress uh, where where the senators or the Congress meet in different rooms when you look up in on the walls there are pictures of people like Moses uh, if you're standing there in the in the Senate uh, or, or the congressional hall they're st- pictures of Moses, these lawgivers are staring you back in the face and there's a, there's a very, um, high, um, presence of the spiritual authority that we believe had been part of the Christian Judaic, uh, beliefs of of people. And, and not just, you know, people like that, but there, there's people who are influential and there's pictures of them all around. Well, if you go down the street in Washington, right from this, from the, uh, Capitol building, you'll find Smithsonian, Uh, buildings. And there's this view, there's this uh, museum of natural history and you go in there and there's no presence of Moses or Jesus or or Bible or anything. All of a sudden you have all these exhibits showing the evolution of man, the Darwinistic theory and, and, and how um, there's this idea that, uh, well, you know, America, if there were inhabitants, they came 40,000 years ago across the Bering Strait. Well, what's interesting is This is all in the Smithsonian today. The Smithsonian's early view was that the inhabitants of America uh, were somehow superior to the people who had been recognized now as native americans in the in the sixteen seventeen hundreds. 1700s in other words they said there had to be a previous race that had died out they'd killed each other off they had died from disease and the inhabitants remaining became so scattered that they just kind of became forager hunter gatherer people they didn't have the great structure of society that their predecessors had had although they may have been remnants well what happened and here's the punchline: the book of mormon came out as well as these other books that had been historical or, you know, uh, an assessment of the the findings of, of scientists and explorers. And it was causing a stir that America had to have a responsibility to the Native Americans. And this is where they were at a crossroad. There was a huge develop there was a huge interest, you know, when you talk about an economy, an economy just simply means people want stuff. So how are they gonna barter? How are they gonna exchange? How are they gonna get the things they want? America wanted the land, the undeveloped land. There, they if they were to say that the ancient inhabitants of America were descendants of Israel. How could they go just take the land from them? How could, they, how could they wipe them out? How could they push them onto reservations? How could they do anything other than treat them with respect and dignity? There was a huge socialist, um, Darwinist uh, influence that specifically started covering up anything that had to do with ancient America's history as it may have related to these were God's people. And this is this is the cover-up that we were never told. This is why we never hear of ancient America before Columbus. You know, it's interesting, and this author points this out, the American Indians are the only culture in the world that has no history. You think about that. You know, any people anywhere in America— or anywhere in the world, rather, you can, you can go to the Soviet Union and say, well, these people came from, you know, uh, the South and you can go to England and you can say, okay, there were the Normans and the Saxons and these people who came, uh, you know, pre Viking days and all these people, they, they have an origin and, and they've, but yet in America, why is it that all of a sudden we're taught, oh, they have no origin. We don't understand them. You know, this huge landmass, we don't know where they came from. Well, what's interesting is if you go, if you go take the Bering Strait theory, came out about fifteen to twenty years ago from the Smithsonian by a man whose whole agenda was to take God out of the picture. And I'm not going to name all the names. I mean, you can read the, read the book. I've, I'd like to share more of this, and I'll put it on restored gospel some of the details. But there was literally an agenda to push these ideas aside. And so the Bering Strait theory came out then by the Smithsonian, the fact that, oh, well, we don't know anything about uh, America before Columbus. They had to have been here 40,000 years ago. They crossed the Bering Strait. Then how do you explain that the DNA of these people is not all the same? There are over 500 distinct languages among what we call Native Americans in North, Central, and South America, 50 separate, you know, cultural groups, you don't get that if you all came from one group of people who came across the Bering Strait. And so they won't accept the fact that there was a diffusion of perhaps many cultures. Who, who knows? Maybe the Romans, maybe the Vikings, maybe the Phoenicians. They all, they all may have landed here at some point. There was a tremendous amount of commerce. And it was borne out in the fact that in these Indian mounds themselves... Are artifacts made from <clears throat> whether it's you know mica and stone that came from the Rocky Mountains, or whether it's copper that came from uh, north of Lake Superior, or whether it's gold that came from Central America. I mean, they can find all these things in the mounds. How did they get there? Unless there was an incredible amount of commerce and 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 you know people moving throughout the system. Well, the the whole problem started because if we are going to accept the fact that. These people had an origin, and it may have in part been from Israel. Now you had to bring God into the picture. Now you had to acknowledge this Book of Mormon. All of these messages that had been coming from the 16th, and 1800s, and especially the Book of Mormon, was causing a stir. And so what happened was the people who were in charge, and it's interesting that it came from Washington, set up an organization that they decided to use science as the thing that oh well you can't argue against science science is uh, a moral you know science is just facts no this this book goes in and documents the people's conversations and their agendas to say hey let's do it in the name of science because we have a social agenda that we want. We, we don't want people saying, well, these are God's people that we're taking their land from or putting them on reservations. So, um, anyhow, I I know I'm kind of going in a lot of directions with this, but what we've been handed down, it was an intentional, um, just kind of whitewashing of the facts and that before our day, Many people were very open about the history, the people, the the cultures that existed in America before Abraham Lincoln even called all these mounds. He said, "These are the Egypt of the West." That's what he called it. There was so much to learn and explore. And Abraham Lincoln a, said. Abraham Lincoln he called he called all these things of like the Ohio Valley and the you know along all the major rivers there were literally thousands of these mounds and he and people didn't understand what they were. See though. What's sad
0: is yeah, all of that stuff was there and because of this cover up, it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't go and build a city up over the pyramids. Like we've built like there's a golf course on the they they just like they just industrialized the whole
1: area and exactly just wiped it out exactly so that you can't even um, exactly and that's what this book points out. I said no there was a concerted effort to plow these things under that they mm-hmm. were they were literally told hey there's nothing new here folks there's nothing to learn we don't need to excavate we don't need to understand this I mean these are like written in this book where people were making these statements so. It was like, hey, let's let's just put this history back into the dirt. We, we'll we just build these golf courses or developments, plow these things under. I mean, there are many that are still there, but there were literally thousands of them when the land started get, to get explored. So there had to be. So what,
0: to sum up, so you, the common man's mind myself, since I haven't read all of this, I'm trying to uh, process it. So what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is um, – I had no idea that in the 1600s, 1700s that there were people from, you know, explorers that were here recognizing that there are groups of people here that are Hebrew in origin so much so that that was I mean that was just the title of the book the the, yeah. the prospect that the people here are from Hebrew origin, right? Mm-hmm. And and here are these books that were written and we have photographs of these books. They're not um, you know they're not just made up stories on the internet. They're actual photographs of the books. These books can be found on non-religious uh, websites that are their only intention is to preserve ancient, you know, old literature. And so you can go on archive.com or we we put the link there and you can find these books and you're reading it and here are these people finding um, you know, in communicating with groups of Native Americans who are Hebrew in origin. Um, and what you said a little while ago when you began talking, Corey, you said that nowhere else, and this is this is a statement that can fly right over your ears and, you know, you don't pick it up, but say that again, nowhere else other than Jerusalem. Yeah,
1: can you find any group of people that bears as many similarities to the ancient Hebrews as the American Indians, and yet we
0: can, and yet you can't find. Well, people in the early 1600s saw that, but yet there there had to be something mm-hmm. that wiped that knowledge out because I never had heard that growing up, other than the Book of Mormon. Yep. and then here are these mounds that have you know, um, well, so many things, and so. What you're saying is, um, they didn't want these people to be anyone that we knew. They wanted to be able to push them around and take the land and everything, and not recognize any of their their heritage. And so, you can see that there are spirits at work. There had to be spirits at work. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because. <clears throat> hey, do me a favor, push that um, push that microphone back just like a good just an inch or two, so I can raise your gain up now, and that way it won't pick up anything right. like that. Yeah, perfect. So go ahead.
1: You said there were, well, it's interesting because this author has a chapter where he's talking about uh, the, the ideas that things have been lost and the um, things have been covered up. And, and on a page uh, 110, I just want to read a couple sentences out of this book. I think you'll find this fascinating. Um, and he compares this to the book of Mormon. He, he and he doesn't, take any doctrinal position. He just says Joseph Smith published a book, you know, in 1830 called The Book of Mormon, and it was the only book, the only religion. Now, you think about this. This is interesting. You know, if you are connected in any way to, you know, Mormonism, I'll use that in the general sense, not just LDS, um, there's no other religion that has a message or takes a stance and looks at the Native American people and says, these are God's people. You know, you think about it. Catholicism didn't do that. Protestantism didn't really do that. I mean, there were these individuals who seemed to have this calling back in the seventeen hundreds, but we didn't hear it coming from their pulpits. Right. Um, You you don't get this from any other, not even today. Right. You don't, you don't get this from the modern evangelical at all. Right. Mm -mm. But so this uh, is a, Interesting because he said, when the Book of Mormon came out, this is when there was a concerted effort to really start covering things up. And he makes this statement. He says, um, uh, upon the publication of the Book of Mormon in Palmyra, New York, Joseph Smith began to reach out in a missionary effort to the Indians of America's heartland. He directed missionaries to the um, Catarugas Indians near Buffalo, uh, Wyandots of Ohio, the Delawares of Missouri, along with the Fox, Sac, and other Algonquin tribes, declaring them that they were of a remnant of the house of Israel. This idea that the Indians were of Mideastern origin was a concept that was contrary to the political doctrine of manifest destiny so I'll, you know here's the thing you know we need to convert the savages this idea that these were savages this is a whole another thing that's been written into the history books but it was not what the early explorers were finding that they were they were finding these people to be loving civilized willing to share their land type people but but again there had to be a notion painted that these were savages who were just bloodthirsty and living in low you know impoverished conditions but he, so the manifest destiny and this idea that these were of hebrew uh, origin these people it, it clashed but he, he writes this This idea that the Indians were of Mideastern origin was a concept that was contrary to the political doctrine of Manifest Destiny and to the social engineering efforts that were being advanced in the 1800s. The primary political and social agenda of the late 1700s and 1800s was centered on questions as to who would control the lands of America. The desired outcome would require the removal of the Indians from their ancestral lands and placing of them on reservations as settlers moved westward. If the Indians were to be viewed as of Hebrew or European descent, then a case could be made that the Indians were more than mere savages with rights that should be granted under a constitutional law. And, and he, he just continues. But this this was all part of the agenda just to take the land. And so what does the Book of Mormon teach? The Book of Mormon teaches, one, that th- this is Joseph's land by covenant, right? That the lineage of the Nephites, just like the lineage of Judah, the lineage of, of you know, all the other brothers, part of that came with land. Well, when Lehi's family lands in America, God says, hey, this is your land. This, I'm making this as part of the covenant for you. Gentiles, European settlers, were told through Nephi's seeing this in vision, and it happened in, historically, but Nephi sees Gentiles would come on this land, and eventually Nephi's record would come to those Gentiles. That's us, right? But he would see that the Gentiles would scatter and scourge his people just the same way that Gentiles in other parts of the world would scatter and scourge the Jews. Right? There were more atrocities committed to uh, Native Americans in the Central Americas than even the Jews in in Europe during the nineteen forties. Yeah, we touched on that. We, last we touched week. on yeah. that, right? right. And, and Which so, you never hear. you never, never hear of and never. and so that's almost a clue in and of itself because when in Deuteronomy, God's Telling these people, hey, if you fall into idolatry or whatever, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer, and so it's it's almost like a clue that when you see mass genocide and you see the different um, uh, you know scourgings and things that have happened to against societies, it's a clue that maybe those societies were God's people, were scattered Israel. But so this idea that um, these people then were. Part of Israel, uh, you know, Nephi sees that this was their land and the Gentiles would occupy it. The Gentiles get the Book of Mormon, and our commission was to take that word back to those people so they could have salvation. That is the commission, that is why you know we say the church is restored, but it's not restored until these people are restored to a knowledge of God. There it is. So, I was sitting here. So I started off saying, like,
0: you know, Indiana Jones and these 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 conspiracies and things that happened here long ago and these mounds are all exciting, but I want to know why. Why, besides just uh, tantalizing my my intrigue and, you know, I love a good conspiracy right. and what really happened here, and where are these mounds from, I want to know, so why is this important? And one of them I think you just touched on, n- number one, it's, um, well, Number one, it shows that perhaps, you know, stuff that Joseph Smith Jr. could never have known. Um, and when he wrote the Book of Mormon, that this, this is bearing out that it's true from, from all kinds of sources now that, that have no uh, religious um, reason to, to, uh, to prove that the Book of Mormon is true or not. The other thing is, though, is what you just said is, is recognizing the people. Because the Book of Mormon has a specific purpose for these people of who these people are and that they are, you know. yes. Why else is this important? I mean, what are you seeing this as exciting to you for what reason?
1: Well, just because of the fact that God says this gets resolved and that Mm -hmm. the the day ahead of us, I mean, (laughs) we've— it's it's amazing to consider remember when we talked about the fact that this land was created as this cradle for this gospel to go forth that we didn't realize but there was a political and social undercurrent all the time this this hidden kind of dark uh government operative to suppress this idea that the native americans may have been god's people and to and to bypass this Idea that even people well before Joseph Smith's day had that we need to restore these people because these were God's people, that it was all pushed aside. And now, the fact that in the Book of Mormon itself, it says, no, this word, when the Gentiles reject it, it goes back to Joseph's people and they have the same blessing where they're baptized by the Spirit just like the Lamanites did. And that's when things change. We always felt it was like, oh, well, the Gentiles get the gospel and we have the church restored and we're going to build Zion and and everyone's going to flow to us. No, that's the narrative we've told ourselves. But the Book of Mormon says something quite a bit different. It says we would receive the gospel and from us, after we have our time with it and don't do what we're supposed to do, it goes back to the, the natives of this land of whom... They received this land as part of their covenant. And when they receive the gospel, that's when the, the beginnings of Zion happened. Mm. Right? You know, I think even
0: growing up in the church and because I've always accepted the Book of Mormon on faith and it's been part of me. And um, because I grew up in the church, I was able to read it without um, you know, having a negative connotation. And therefore, it, it, it became integrated into my soul before I could reject it. And so I just grew up knowing it. And now I just, I can't foresee ever, re- if there's anything that's truth in this entire world, it's the writings that I read within there that yeah. I could not deny. Um, other people don't have that. But even having that, it is exciting for me then to now see sources outside of that. Not that I need that, but it's, there is something strengthening about your faith right, and it's right. just,
1: it affirms everything you believe
0: Affirms, And it's, it's exciting because it's, it's almost like, um, I don't know. It's like, you know, you're pushing this big boulder up the hill by yourself. And all of a sudden, you know, another guy comes next to you and pretty soon you've got 50 people and it becomes very yeah. easy. I feel like these other sources of information now, it's like, The Book of Mormon isn't the only thing making a weird claim that there's so much other information. And to have a president like President Abraham Lincoln look at something and say, this is the Egypt of the West. exactly, And then watch that just be demolished and not preserved and hidden and tread down and build upon like like it was never anything. shows me that, boy, I mean, you wouldn't do that. No, it, no. There had to have been something like no. we are not going to, let's wipe it out, man. Cover it up. That's just crazy. Exactly. I mean, that he, that
1: was in the hearts and minds
0: of people. Yeah. And if you do find these things today, it's usually like this little tiny sign in a little building. Oh, that's all it hearts.
1: is. And, it, and it's like on a donation visit because the right. man and woman in their late eighties have been manning this thing for 40 <laughs> years, you know, so and it's true. just a husband and wife in a little cabin sitting there yeah. by, the, by the mound. They're protecting. Exactly. Exactly. It's crazy. It's like, you know, well. Well, we could, we could go on, but well, we, we, we'll probably have to talk about it next time.
0: Let's, let's wrap this up this time. What do you want to, I mean, if you have two minutes, is there anything else you want to just, I don't even know if we need to tidy this up. No, let's, <laughs>
1: I don't know that we could either. I think it's just going to be ongoing for a while. There's, that's there's just fine. so much, like you said, there's well, so much more evidence.
0: I'm going to, um, I'll get the name of this book and I'm going to, we'll put a link in the show uh, sure. show notes. So that people can get it and read it, I wonder if it's on the Kindle. I'll find out. Here yeah, it's it's on gonna, Kindle. Oh, geez. it, it is. It yeah, is. See,
1: that's exciting to me because you'll have it in, as soon as we're done. <laughs> when we're done today, yeah. I want to start reading. And exactly. I don't even have to run exactly. Movie. Well, I'll tell you when I when I got this book, it, it I literally he he refers to three or four other works uh, that, that he quotes from, and I they're all books or publications, and I ordered every one of them because I wanted to have the background. You want the actual to, sources? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know he he. T- takes this through a methodical, you know, here's what the information that first came out. And then here's how the information got sanitized. Uh-huh. And, and one of the original guys who, who did the original findings, he got committed to an insane asylum. And the le- he spent the last 10 years of his life away from the public. And you just wonder if there was an effort there too, because this guy was saying, Hey, you're not sharing what I originally found. You're, you're lying to the public. This is what this guy's last words
0: were. You, you can find this stuff out. People, people always wonder like Well, if this was so real, then you know people would know about it. And it's like people do know about it. It's just, do you want to read? I, yeah. I was sick one week, Corey, and I was off work, and I was just, I got into this reading about nutrition and stuff, and I followed this trail of. It's called the cholesterol myth, and I and I found out yeah. you know there's this thing about your cholesterol numbers, and yeah. realized that you know this guy became the Time Man of the Year, and his study was built on like seven different cultures. And yet when you looked at it, there was like another hundred that, defined, that like was total opposite yes. of what his literature said. Yeah. And like this professor got, um, got uh, he was teaching at Harvard. He got let go, even though he had tenure and he couldn't get a job anywhere because he was going to um, write literature that said, you know, this this whole myth with the cholesterol, you know, these statin drugs and stuff. Yep, trillion dollar industry. It's huge. Trillion dollar industry, and they did some research. But anyway, all that said, I went and read the books that were the resources for this article, and and read the actual. If you dig down, you get to the real writings of the people, and it's like I'm hearing it, you know, from what they said, and it's like this is a real story. Right. I mean, this was in but you have to really put effort in to find it and then choose what you want to believe because exactly. everything else handed out to you is just, um, yeah, silly. Yeah. So, well, so tell me one more time, the name of this book, Okay
1: this, this book, uh, lost American antiquities, a hidden history, uh, S Edgar Smoot, S M O O T. We got to do something
0: with that last name. Lost American antiquities. Okay. Well, we will uh we'll put a, a link up there. Do you feel like his writing there is something that um the common man can understand? Oh, very, very much so. It's okay. so it, a great it, place to start or a
1: great... Yeah, because he'll he'll refer to other writings that okay. you can go back to the original writings and even find them online these original articles. But no, this this is very much written almost in a story format. Yeah, he's he's
0: not a Latter-day Saint.
1: Uh, you know, it. he doesn't declare it in his book. He may be, but he actually set out to uh, do a documentary, uh, and you can find it online. In fact, when uh, Glenn Beck was still with Fox News, one time he did a segment. The, the way I found this book was I was searching and I found a YouTube segment. Again, I was just searching Native Americans, Hebrew origins. I found this Glenn Beck segment, and I watched 10 minutes of it. <clears throat> Glenn Beck was going through... Uh, and I don't care if you like Glenn Beck or not, he was just talking about the same thing, that there were things in America's history that have been covered up. And he mentions this documentary. So I search for this documentary and find that the guy who did the documentary had a book. And so I got the book that way. And you know, it was just one of these things. But um, one thing leads to another. But uh, he may or may not be a Latter-day Saint, but it doesn't come out in his writings. He, he's very objective when he's referring to the Book of Mormon, so, anyhow, you'll love it. It's informative, and it's going to just tell you that everything the Book of Mormon says is true. That's what I.
0: That's why I wonder because you don't very often hear uh, of something quoting or or talking about the Book of Mormon as a resource. Like, oh, by the way, Joseph Smith wrote about this. Right. And, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to uh, to get my hands on that and read it. That's uh, exciting stuff. Well. All right, who knows where we will pick up next time, but this was an interesting conversation today, the way we round I love when you walk into the studio with a, with an armful of books and say, <laughs> look what I've been reading this week because I yeah. never know what's coming. But you did such a great way of, of making that um, easy to understand today and kind of a synopsis of, of what we've been studying. So appreciate it, brother. Well, uh, remind our folks that are listening, what do we say? Hey, we're all just
1: walking each other home, so be good to someone this week. Sounds good. Till next time, God bless.